And welcome back, coppers, to the Cult of Popularity podcast. The only cult that won't murder your family. No, I won't murder your family, man. It's cool. Some you probably have a shot at if you want, man. Yes, that's all right. It'll be okay. It's the Cult of Popularity podcast. This week, we've got a few classics on the table. Mate. The reimagined work of classic children's author, Rod Dahl's Matilda. Nice. A journey through time in many ways with the Assassin's Creed series. And then a throwback to an absolute classic Aussie icon of television. Hey, hey, it's Saturday. Fuck yeah. Alright, we're kicking things off with Matilda. Tilds. Tildorama. Which is a, it's a classic, it's classic, 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 classic. Do you reckon you get one more classic in there? Yeah, it's definitely a classic movie, mate. <laughs> it really is. I have great memories from my childhood watching it. I remember the first time I actually watched it, I was like, this is awesome. You got- I want to have magic powers. Yeah. Spoiler. You want to, yeah, I was like, oh, magic powers. And to which my parents were like, you're 21. Probably shouldn't have be imagining to have magic powers. No, but I was a kid when I watched it. It's got a pretty good cast in it, really. A very good cast. You got uh, Mara Wilson, who at one point was everywhere. I'd, you know, be fair to say she was like the female Macaulay Culkin at the time. Oh, didn't really do that much though, did she? She was in a fair bit. She was in. Let me go through. So she was in that. She was in Matilda. She was in Miracle on. Forty third Street or some shit. Thirty fourth. Thirty fourth. I was right. Or oh, wasn't right, but I was close. She was in Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm sure, there was something else that she was in that I'm not thinking of. Or is that it? No, she's in a few others, but I haven't really heard of him. A Time to Heal, A Simple Wish, Balloon Farm. These all sound like really shit movies. Uh, Time to Heal and Balloon Farm were TV films. Yep, enough said. And Thomas and the Magic Railroad. That sounds like a knight stuck in a K hole. This is interesting, though. She's done a bit of voice work in recent times. Ooh. She's the voice of Jill Pill in BoJack Horseman. There you go. Did not know that. Any other notable voiceover work? Not really. She's in Batman Beyond. Who was she in Batman Beyond? Uh, Tamara. was like a one-off character in an episode. And she does Big Hero 6, the series now, as a recurring of Liv Amara. There you go. Yeah, there was... Obviously, her in the film, Embeth Davids, she played Miss Honey. Uh, Pam Ferris, who was Agatha Trunchbull. But I think the the biggest star in the whole thing was Danny DeVito, who also produced it, you informed me. Yeah, he produced and directed, yeah. Yeah. I think he actually... Oh, actually, I would have to double-check. I think he made some of the writing for it as well. So, don't know. I mean, Rod did all the writing for it. Ooh. Ooh. Also, interesting enough, uh, husband-wife combo of Danny DeVito playing alongside his actual real-life wife, Freya Pellman. Yeah, uh, who obviously played Zinnia Wormwood. Well, let's get, let's get into it. So, basically, Matilda's, what do you say, like a, she, she's just a really good kid, super smart, which is, you know, kind of, kind of funny. Can you fix the wave thingies? Sorry, mate. It's bugging me. So, she's... An extraordinary child living with a bunch of ordinary fuckwits, really. Very well, dad's a dodgy car salesman. I love it. I think that's emphasis on 
dodgy. Yeah, I think that's a very memorable thing for me. Whenever like people talk about you know the amount of uh, kilometers and things that a car's done, I always think to when he's there teaching. I'm pretty sure he's teaching his son how to roll how, back, how to roll back the odometer. Yeah, I always think of that. And then was it um, sawdust in the engine makes it like run makes it sound smooth for about hundred miles or something like that. They're just enough to get out of, out of the lot. It's a fucking big lot. It's a big lot. Just 100 miles. I don't remember how much he says, but he, he says something in miles anyway. But he's like, yeah, so so he's, you know, they're, they're what would you call them? They're, they're kind of like, they're not, they're not rednecks, but they're sort of like slobs. Like, they're not. They are. They're very slobbish, yeah. Yeah. And just downright. They're the, not really The nice mum's got the whole people. cougar vibe going, like leopard print, massive <laughs> hair. All the fucking makeup in the world. So the the son, some sort of brother, is you know a little typical American fat boy. Yeah, true. And then there's Matilda, who from an early age basically looks learns to look after herself because parents won't fucking do it. Well, that's right, don't they? Fucking leave. They fucking forget about it when they get home after she's born. Yeah, they left her in the car, Mm. which is you know. Big no-no, don't ever leave them in the car. That's it, yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, child abuse right there. Right don't there. do that. Don't do that shit. Um, but then she sort of, you know, gets a, develops a love for literature. Goes to the, once she finds that she can go to the library and take books home, she's like fucking stoked on life. Nerd. It's like Christmas on a stick for her. Yeah, finds out she's got magic powers. Amazing. Amazing. I think one of, my, one of, the, well, one of the early scenes where she, she figures that out is... When her brother's throwing carrots at her, he's throwing those little like baby carrots, mm. and then she like stops one in midair and flips it around and like whizzes it back at him, telekinetic telekinesis style. Yeah, he chokes on it. So it's when um, her dad's like, "Chew your food." Mm-hmm. And then um, episode where the dad like walks in, he's like, "What are you episode? doing?" Did the I? movie. Yeah, same thing. Acts. Acts. <laughs> Um, and then there's the scene where dad walks in and she's like there reading a book. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, watch television. Gets annoyed about it and just blows up television. What the fuck? By not? looking at it. I like when she starts to really get a control of her powers though. And she does that scene where she's got all the shit going in the house. Like she's got the cards out. No, yeah, a little like, sort of montage thing then, they have yeah, going. Yeah, little montage and there's like some, some sick beats going while she's while she's doing that. Um, then she goes to, a, to the school that she's going to, which is run by a headmistress. Trunchbull. Trunchbull. Who's... you got to wonder how, like, at some point she made the decision to get into education. Why? Beyond me, she obviously fucking hates children. Yeah. I, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you did in our last episode where we talked about Back to the Future. I'm going to point out a bit of a plot hole here. Oh, here we go. So, generally, if you become a principal or a headmaster or headmistress or whatever, you have to become a, be a teacher and then you generally sort of move up the ranks. It's like being a lawyer and becoming a judge. How the fuck did she get promoted from being a teacher with that shitty attitude towards kids to becoming principal? She probably got good results because no one would fucking set a foot out of line. True. Results do speak for themselves. Because she has... What the fuck was that torture device that she had? The chokey. Yeah, fucking ice. Um, which, is, which is fucked up. Mm. She's intense, to say the least. Mm-hmm. There's, there's so many good scenes in it. Like there's so many, so much good stuff. Like there's the um the dad gets his hat his head his hat glued onto his head, mm. and like rips up all, and like his hair is all fucked up. That's funny. Bruce Boltrotter scene. 
The uh, chocolate cake. The chocolate cake. Mm, That's classic awesome. scene. Everyone cheering him on to finish it. And he does. He, he fucking the, does. Then he gets the uh, plate broken over his head. I'm pretty sure that kid's the same kid from The Wedding Singer. The He's the the fat kid that no one wants to dance with at the bar mitzvah or whatever it is. And Adam Sandler's character gets him to... Gets Drew Barrymore's character to choose him in a rigged sort of thing where she's going to choose the one person that she wants to dance with for the night. And he gets a little handsy. Good on him. Good to eat a fuckload of chocolate cake. Got to grab a little ass. You know. It was the 80s slash 90s. Because I'm pretty sure Wedding Singer was set in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. This sounds about right. Actually, little extra little crossover, if I'm correct about that, is... Mate, just spot on. Jimmy Cars was his name. Fuck, I'm good. Oh, fuck, you're good. And another little cheeky crossover is John Lovett, who plays a rival Wedding Singer in The Wedding Singer, and is Mickey on the Million Dollar Sticky, the game show that Matilda's parents like to watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is fucking horrid. Yeah. Did you... Miriam Margoyles almost played uh, Trunchbull. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. Which would have been interesting. I think the Trunchbull was cast perfectly. Very intense, big, strong woman. She throws that little girl by her pigtails out over the fence. Yeah. That was interesting to bring that up because the Pam Ferris who played Trunchbull, mm. she actually got uh, she got pretty fucked up during filming. Like on drugs or just... No, injuries from filming. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, that scene that you just mentioned where she's swinging the girl around by her pigtails. So yeah. to do that, they had to... Obviously, they required a harness and stuff and everything to support the girl that she was swinging around with. And then there were wires which were threaded through the pigtails and then looped around her fingertips... So they could do the same. Um, and when she swung, swung around because of the centrifugal force, um, it actually became too much. And it actually tore the top part of her finger, requiring seven to eight stitches. Fuck. Not a, and that was not her only hospital trip. Is the other one from where she jumps over the balcony off the stairs? No. So you know the scene where all the chalk dust is being thrown at her or whatever? Yeah. So that scene required her to keep her eyes open. Talking your eyes, not good. Yeah, no, nah, not like no way. No, uh, the black, quite a black bit, water uh, races is what she was so with the chalk dust then being. So um, it actually necessitated several trips to the hospital to get her eyes washed out. And have a what, paramedic on hand that would have. What are those hands of what several trips? Like it makes me wonder. Did they like do it? She had to go to hospital, got her eyes washed out, came back like, oh, actually, we're gonna have to reshoot it. <laughs> Yeah, it, it makes no sense. And after the first trip to the hospital, wouldn't you think you'd try to, like, substitute the chalk with, you know, something like... Anything corn else. Corn flour. Corn flour would make good chalk because it's it goes puffs into the air a lot, makes a lot mm. of fucking mess. I'm sure they could have done something so she didn't have to, like, forcefully cocaine. keep her freaking eyes open. Because <laughs> if cocaine gets in your eyeballs... You just get high. Quicker. <laughs> like, that's a win-win. If we ever make a movie, a movie and we have to use, we have to facilitate chalk dust, we're using cocaine. It's going to be expensive, <laughs> but... A little bit risque. A little, little risque. Mm. There's a bit of a sad note to it as well. I don't know if anyone's ever noticed when they're watching it, but the film is actually dedica- dedicated to uh, Su- Susie Wilson. I don't know who that is. 
It was Mara Wilson's mother. Oh. Who played Matilda. That is sad. It is, yeah. So she was diagnosed with breast cancer during filming and she died four months before the film's actual release. Right. Uh, Danny DeVito has come out and said that before she passed away, he had shown um, Mara's mother a final recording of the movie so that she was actually able to see it. That's pretty nice. That's actually really, really nice. Pam Ferris, who played um, Agatha Trunchbull, was also Aunt Marge in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Interesting. The one, the one that he makes go blowy uppy. Mm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is weird because Miriam Margolds ended up being one of the professors in. Harry she was the uh, the botanist teacher. Yeah. There you go. Now, there's so much fucking continuity going on right now. Did you set a timer, by the way? Indeed. Fucking, we're all over it. Well, you're probably Stealth timer. Stealth timer. There's actually a potential uh, sequel for Matilda as well. DeVito said in, in 2019 that he always wanted to develop a sequel to Matilda and said that a potential sequel would have Matilda's child. Uh, would be about Matilda's child due to, obviously, Mara Wilson not being a fucking kid anymore. Nah, she's all grown up now. Yeah, she's a lady. She's a lady. And, you know, the, the music in it was... The music was in it was, was it all right. I don't think it was anything... It didn't have a banging soundtrack like Forrest Gump or anything like that. But it went all right. Is she married to Ben Shapiro? No, nah, it's a, Ben Shapiro's a cousin. Right. I was like... I, was, I just saw you bring the photo up on the screen. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> to see them at fucking you know Christmas or Thanksgiving in America and she'd be like you know I was a child star he was like you're in three movies that were worth of any note and then she starts crying he's like facts don't care about your feelings very very off topic right doesn't sound like us go slightly not but because of Danny DeVito being in it I looked him up a little bit I didn't actually realise that his production company helped produce Pulp Fiction did not know that. Yeah. I was just like, interesting. There you go. I reckon Dan DeVito would be a very interesting guy to meet in real life. Oh, I reckon he really would be. Like, he's, mm. he's got such a... He's got a really big range as an actor, but he's also... He just seems like a really genuine dude. He does, yeah. And I think that story you said about him getting an advanced copy of the film so that Mara Wilson's mum could watch it before she mm. died, that sort of speaks volumes about his character as a human. Like, yeah. Um, which is good thing I didn't know about Matilda was that even though it's got massive rave reviews from a critical standpoint, box office flop. Mm, it's, it's funny, isn't it, those sort of films? It seems to be a very uh, common theme with them, doesn't it? Yeah, well, like, um, Shawshank was like that. Yeah. And that's, you know, blows my mind that that's, mm. that's how it comes out. Well, it's more surprising with Shawshank, I must say, than Matilda. <laughs> Definitely. But still, I would have thought it would have done all right. It wasn't a bad film. I've never read the book. I like. I think I should actually read the book one time. Just one time. Just one time. I read. read I actually wanted to go watch the musical because there is a musical of Matilda, the musical as well, mm. and that's got music and lyrics written by Tim Minchin. I just. Recently, oh yeah. Just recently watched two of Tim Minchin's specials on Netflix. Not bad. He'll do, do all right. He was actually. I went and saw him at uh, the uh, Opera House with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, right. Rachel went uh, and watched Usher that night, and I went and watched Tim Minchin with an orchestra in the opera house. I feel I won. Did, did you have a choice? Like, how did that, how does that come about? Well, she was going to Usher, and there was no way I was going to Usher. And then I was like, well, if the, surely there's something, it's Sydney, surely there's something else on that night. And I saw that, there, that that was on, and I was like, 
You know what? Fuck it, Sydney trip. Go. <laughs> we were already in Sydney for when like she, oh, was, okay. she was already there for the Usher concert anyway. And I was like, you know what? Go. But very off topic. Yeah, that was that that was very off that topic. That was very off topic. I do like the scene where she goes and fucks with the trunchbull because like her brother died and she was a real trunchbull was a real cunt to Miss Honey. Mm. When she goes and sits That's outside right. the house because and she makes what the is it? What's the relationship down. between her and Miss Honey in the end? It's like uh, her auntie, auntie or something. Yeah. yeah. That's when she goes and like fucks with like with the house and freaks her out and scares the shit out of her. So also we there's one of the scenes where you see not that particular one, but later on when they're in the house, you see Trunchbull trying to drive away in the car that she bought from Matilda's father mm. and it falls apart and she picks it up and pushes it back and then she gets on the phone and abuses him. Indeed. I actually had a teacher in primary school that reminded me a lot of the Trunchbull. Really? Yeah, like like to look at and mannerisms. Mm. Like, yeah. I remember we went looking for glue sticks one time, we went looking through her desk and we found a pair of her underwear. That's weird. That is really weird. Maybe she has accidents. Maybe. Was she old? Not old, old. Mate, I was a kid. Everyone was old. Anyone that was over 20 was old to me then. That's <laughs> true. That's true. And I read this one teacher in primary school. A little bit. She had a reputation like Trunchbull. In reality, she probably wasn't that bad. But one thing I do remember about her, but at any point, I'm pretty sure her eyes were going to fucking just fall out of her head. They were fucking like so far like bulging out of her Big skull nearly all. Yeah. Fucking blew me out. Yeah. It's weird like how some people, you think... How the fuck did you become a teacher? Much like the Trunchbull. Very much like the Trunchbull. I like the cook lady where she's like, I put my blood, sweat and tears in this cake. She's all sweaty and gross looking. What about the um, the two FBI agents that are monitoring Matilda's father? And the mum welcomes them in with open arms because she thinks they're, like, they're salesmen or something like that. Mm. Like travelling salesmen. And Matilda's like, they're cops. Yeah, it's <laughs> just straight just up. Brutality, just... The cops. And of course, they think that she's stupid because she's a kid. Fair. Fair. Kids say some stupid shit. They do indeed. Girls nominated for a few awards and won a couple. Mara Wilson won Best Performance by a Young Actress in a Comedy Film. Uh, One of those very a, specific categories. She was a Young Star Award, so it must have been some youth award. Danny DeVito got two awards for Best Director. Um, the S- Sign Kid Lion Audience Award and the Orlu International Children's Film Festival Star Boy Award. He's a motherfucking star boy. <laughs> then Murray Wilson was also nominated as well for a Young Artist Award for Best Performance in a Feature Film, Leading Young Actress. And uh, Danny DeVito was also nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role in a Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical. And Kira Spencer Hesser was Best Performance in a Feature Film, also Young Artist Award, uh, Supporting Young Actress. She played Hortensia. Hortensia? To the black girl. Sure. The one with the glasses. Matilda's, uh, yes. Matilda's mate. Matilda's friend. Yeah. This is the first Rod Dahl book that they made into a movie that we've done, we've done, isn't it? Yes. And that is time, but I'm sure there will be more. I can think of at least one more that I want to do. Of course. Obviously. James and the Giant Peach. It's not the one, but sure. (laughs) But that is time. Which means that it it is time to move on. It is. We also need to give a quick wrap-up and rate Matilda as well. Matilda as a children's film is great. If you haven't Um, seen it, 
watch it. Definitely worth a watch, especially if you do have kids. It's a movie that you can sit down and enjoy with your kids, in my opinion. Um, I probably wouldn't go and watch it myself again, just because just I want to watch a movie. I very much doubt I'd pick that. But if I want to sit down and watch something with James... It's fucking 8 o'clock at night. Why the fuck are there birds outside whistling? Anyway. Know. Someone who put a towel over their cage? <laughs> very much, yeah, good family film to sit down and watch. One of those ones, you know, back in the day when you actually used to watch free-to-air free TV and you'd flick through the channels. If it was on, you'd be like, there was nothing else. And you'd be like, you know what? I'll watch Matilda. Exactly. And for that, I give it three and a half stars out of five. Three and a half stars? He's going straight up stars. Not not making it any I did special. it. Didn't even try. Yep. All right. Oh, yeah, I'd agree with that. Three and a half. I'll go three and a half chocolates. Very good. Chuck cakes? No, nah, chocolates. All right. Missed opportunity, in my the opinion. chocolates that Trunchbull wouldn't let, wouldn't let Miss Honey have because she was like, much too good for children. Fucking <laughs> 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 was, wasn't she? Fucking I. Oh, shit. All right. From film, been a girl with magic powers to a powerful giant of Australian comedy and bent that created many magical moments. That was a stretch. But that was a very big stretch. Hey, hey, it's Saturday. <laughs> wow. Now, for people outside of Australia, they're probably like, the fuck are you talking about? This was the... This is Saturday night reigning champ of television in Australia. This prick... And I didn't actually realise exactly how long this ran for. I thought this started like late 80s maybe. This show ran for 29 seasons in total. Crazy. From 1971 up until 1999. It came back for a one-off season in 2010, which that's a little bit to be desired from its its original run. It, it did have a hiatus between 1978 and 79 where... The host of the show, Daryl Summers, tried something else out, flopped, and went back. Classic. Classic. But for those that don't know, it was... Oh, what would you... I mean, what do you say? I was going to say a variety show. I was going to say a variety show. Oh, there we go. We'll, we'll We're in agreement. We'll settle on variety show. <laughs> oh, here we go. Look, genre. Variety slapstick. So, we'll close. We'll close. Yeah, it was... How do you describe it? Like, it's... It is... It's... It's like it had had moments of sketch comedy in it, um, had different scenes happen, which changed over the course of time. Um, it was basically a bloke with... <laughs> it was hosted by... <laughs> I'm about to explain it, and I'm just like, people were like, fucking Australians. I swear to God. It was hosted by a man with a giant puppet ostrich called Aussie Ostrich. Which... which- Baffles the mind that it wasn't a fucking emu. It's true. It's true. It just didn't work as well. Aussie emu doesn't sound as good as Aussie ostrich. True. True. It it um started off, and oh, this blew my mind as well. It started off as like um a Saturday morning sort of kids show. So they were actually just the hosts for like a Saturday morning program, and they just filled in the gaps in between the cartoons. That were on in the morning. Like Agro's Cartoon Connection or something like that. Yeah, yeah, just like Agro's yeah. Cartoon Connection or what, do I think, uh, what, Cheese TV. Cheese TV. Saturday Disney. Yeah, Saturday Disney, Warner, Brother, Warner Brothers Kids. Yeah, all them. All them. All, all very Australian specific and people are probably like, what the fuck? I don't know what we had in America, so whatever. Surely we've had something in America where they had... Let us know. Kids cutting. Yeah, let us know. 
In my butchered segue, I did mention that it was a giant of Australian TV or an icon or something like that. I, I don't think there's any other way to really describe it. It had so many memorable moving parts that like it almost probably shouldn't have worked, but it was so crazy that it did. And That's it. I think it yeah, really in, sort of captured like Australian sort of that abstract sort of weird humor. Because like, you know, I was reading through, looked through it, and like obviously it was compared to sort of that abstract sort of weird humor, a little bit Monty Python-esque. A lot of ad-libbing as well. So, a lot of it was... At first, I don't believe it was live. So, at first, it wasn't filmed in front of a live audience. So, it was then the cameras were following around and it actually, like, took you all around the studio. Like, you saw all sort of parts of the studio. A lot of the people who were behind the scenes, like the camera and the crew and stuff, ended up becoming sort of... Well, I mean, they weren't part of the show, but at the same time, there was no effort to hide them and they will get spoken to regularly as well and... Be, be a part of the show as a supporting cast as well at the same time it was it was different yeah 100 percent. and i guess th- there'd really been nothing like that in australian tv hmm. at that point like you know you had your graham kennedys and stuff like that had game shows and, and bits and pieces and talk shows and stuff like that but this was everything this was a game show it was a t- it was a talent contest it was a comedy sketch show it was everything hmm. Oh, yeah, it did everything because it was t- at the same time it was just taking the piss out of all of them like it was gold. Yeah, oh, 100%. I remember we would sit down religiously as kids and always a family and we'd watch it like every Saturday. Mm. Hey, hey, Saturday yep. was on. Every yep, Saturday. Remember, yeah, used to love Saturday night sitting down and watching Hey, Hey, Saturday. It was and fucking gold. If we couldn't get out of something, we had to go to a dinner with another family or something like that. We'd either watch it at their house or... Set the, v, set the VCR and watch it when we got home. Exactly. Like, no one missed. No. Missed it. For sure. Like, it had um, v- memorable, very memorable recurring segments. I don't know if we should go for the best ones straight away or not. Go some of the lesser known ones first and we'll work up to the best ones. All right. All right. Um, so, th- there were some segments. I was watching, I was reading through, looking at, because obviously it hasn't been on TV for ages and I was trying to remember. I was like... What else did it really have outside of those really memorable ones? There were segments um, which were uh, what cheeses me off. Um, where have your complaints on any virtually any subject is how it was put. So it'd literally just be viewers. I think I'm pretty sure if you read letters and stuff and maybe got some live audience participation from it, it was just people just airing their grievance grievances about literally anything. Yeah. Um, Media Watch Press, which um, was good. It's you can see you see it's been done now, but basically they'll take headlines and th- really ridiculous news items that had come up through the various bits of media. Yeah, and just kind of be like, "What the fuck?" Um, eventually, that got so big that they ended up taking the two subcategories, which was media watch press and media watch TV for like newspapers, and then for the the you know nightly news or whatever the fuck it was yeah well. so sort of like well this would have maybe this would have been before their time even but like what um david letterman and jay leno and stuff used to do where they get the headlines from like uh the, yeah there was a comparison to to what was done on david letterman so i don't know whether or not that would have come first or not because oh shit letterman was on tv for years he was on tv for a long, Decades. long time now there's also the nixon tapes which was during Lavinia Nixon's time on the show. And it was video, it was footage from movies or TV shows sent in by viewers, which contained a mistake or a blooper of some sort. And audience members had to try and guess what the mistake was. 
guessing the Nixon tapes is also a play on the tapes from the Watergate scandal involving mm. Richard Nixon. Yeah. <laughs> We're not shy over it, are we? No, we don't, we don't <laughs> fuck about. So that was that's, that's a pretty cool sort of little, little segment there. Just so many. You'd have like, you know, Shane Bourne had a, um, you know, another great Australian comedian had the segment great the great Aussie joke yeah it was just them doing a joke with it and and making sort of you know little Aussie jokes and stuff like that so many like so many great ones magic word where they get an audience member up and um, they present be presented with an, an unusual word and then members of the crew usually Dickie Red or Russell would give them a possible meaning for the word and one of them was the actual one that gets the right one and they win a prize hmm it's important maybe to just go through who some of these different characters that people are as well at this point. Yeah, so you've got Dickie Knee. Which was like a fucking... Mop on a stick with a hat on it. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. And which was said very crude things whenever it came up. Was, was he um, voiced by the same person that did Agro? No. Die. I don't no. think so. They, they had a slightly different... Well, they had a different standing voice. He was more of a high-pitched... Yeah. yeah. But he was very rude... Um, Gave, I remember giving, he always gave Molly Meldrum shitloads of grief whenever he did an interview. Yeah, which is gold. It but was. That's, that's very Australian humour. We like to shit stir people and try to sabotage shit they're doing. So we then had... So Red Simons. Red Simons, yeah. I was trying to go with more of the original sh- showrunners. So the original producer of the show was a bloke called Gavin Disney, believe it or not. Oh... But he left the program in the 80s and then Daryl Summers went ahead and formed his own production company called the Sales Carroll Productions with comedy writer and his on-screen partner Ernie Carroll who was the performer for Aussie Ostrich. Right. So basically from the 80s onward it was it was all them. Um, and then you had like key people that were part of it. Obviously there was, I believe it was John Blackman. Correct. Did voiceovers? Um, he did, yeah, he was the bloke that did the And he was very witty and very quick with everything as well. Yeah. Like, it was so many small little things that all caught, sort of came together, which I think made it so successful for so long. Yeah. Like, because he, he did, he just, he just, yeah, he just fucking gave shit so quickly whenever something happened. It was gold. Yeah, it's like the um, Marco Pierre White quote, that perfection is a lot of little things done right. Um, and then they had a bloke, um, Murray Trigoning. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Huzzah. Huzzah. <laughs> um, who did the audio sampling for the show, which I was like, oh, yeah, cool. He did, you know, audio sampling. But actually looking into what he had to do. So obviously, you know, again, it's old. So obviously he just had to select and play appropriate sound effects, um, you know, to go with what's happening live. The thing that made it so good is that he didn't have any digital sound recording or digital samplers to do it. So all, they were all played from a huge collection of tape cartridges that he had. That makes it really impressive. It does. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And then they had the late, in the later years, they had the guy that did the, the cartoon work, a little like hand-drawn texter, like permanent marker sort of. Yeah, car- yeah. And that's in just a weird sort of shit would up. just... Yeah, come through. Pop up on the screen. Uh, and then you had some, like, you had some people that are actually, you know, sort of big, I guess, Australian icons. So you had, you know, Red Simons, who was obviously not just part of this show, but was, you know, Australian rock and roll royalty, member of Skyhooks. Mm. Did you actually see how he ended up becoming part of it? No. 
So there was like a big um, Skyhooks reunion concert and somehow Hey Hey It's Saturday got involved in it and so they were there as well on the stage and Daryl and stuff was on there and apparently like they all got along really well but apparently specifically because of how well Red Simons was received and everything for him doing it on that night is how he ended up joining Hey Hey It's Saturday. Wow, there you go. Because when you see him on Hey Hey It's Saturday versus how he dressed and acted in Skyhawks, <laughs> it's chalk and cheese. Like It is. So I guess this is the big the big segment that we'll talk into before. Uh, one of the big segments, yeah. Oh, no, it's the big one. It is the big one. Is it was the segment called Red Faces, mainly because Red Simons was one of... It was it was two different judges. He was like a permanent judge. No, for the it, pa- it was a panel of judges. So it was, it was like, a panel of judges, but he was like a permanent He was judge. a permanent... He was always... And then had guest judges. Celebrities and yeah. Come in and do mm. like the guest spots. And where people come in, just, just normal everyday people would come in and like do little odd audition things, show off talents or whatever. Not it was always weird acts, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, it wasn't always just, you know, random people as well. Like, you'd have some people that were either up and coming at the time and then became... It was sort of like a platform for people to try and, for want of a better phrase, get over with the public. Mm. And, you know, you had Peter Rosethorne, you know, who went on obviously to do Kath and Kim and stuff like that. You had John Panette, a great American comic, was on there. Just uh, lots of different. Uh, the amazing Jonathan, the magician slash comedian, like a lot of these really sort of names that they got some traction because of Red Faces. Mm. But the big thing about Red Faces is that anyone could go on. Anyone could go on, but also Red would tear people to shreds. He would, and he'd also interrupt if he wasn't pleased with what they were doing with his massive fucking gong. Mm. So yeah, so behind sitting behind the panel of judges would be yeah this fucking huge gong where he had like this fucking like huge ass hammer like thing hammer it's like a fucking boxing glove on a stick yeah and if the act was really shit and he was not enjoying it at all he would just get up and gong it and that's that's it like just gong the fuck out of it mm-hmm. it was awesome and it was a big gong too like it wasn't. When you like little ones like you see when you walk into like a Chinese restaurant, like this is like a big fucker. Hmm. That's the funny thing though, as well, like with that, like it's a talent thing, but at the same time, it also became a good thing in a way to be so shit and just piss red off so much with your poor performance that you got gonged by him at the same time. Yeah, it's like almost like an achievement, sort of. Sort of. But that was that was great. Then you had you know you had some other sort of Andrew Fife was the cartoonist, by the way, Andrew Fife. Very, very good. You had other like, other sort of segments as well. So you had like celebrity heads. Now it's pretty self-explanatory, but back then no one had really seen, hmm. which was pretty cool. And one of my favourite segments was Plucker Duck. Yeah, Plucker, which I didn't realise he didn't come into it too much later either. Yeah. But he came into it after Ozzy left because Carol left, so he took Ozzy with him. That to replace him with something. And he actually replaced the segment... That used to be their sort of giveaway segment, like what Plucker mm. Duck became, was called the Chook Lotto. Yeah, I was looking into it, I was like, the fucking what? <laughs> fucking what now? Um, yeah, no, it was Chook Lotto and then it became Plucker Duck. And Plucker would usually get up on like a, it was like a bike that they had hooked up to this carousel and he'd ride and these little toy ducks would fly around and then he'd grab one, he'd, someone would grab one off and if your name was on it, you won a prize or some shit. Yeah, absolutely mental. 
And they had like a lot of really good. And, like, and Plucky Duck had heaps of attitude too. Like he'd oh, come yeah. in, he would just start punching shit. He'd like some points, he would go out and he would just start fucking up parts of the set and shit if he didn't like how things had gone Flip down. Stuff over. Because he got really mad if people won good <laughs> prizes, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was great because he never spoke. Mm. So he was very emotive with his his body and the way he moved and everything like that. Whoever was in the costume, like it was just great. To be able to display that much emotion without speaking or using facial expressions, it's pretty uh, pretty genius. And of course, had you know they they'd also feature bands and um, you know other performers on there as well, giving them you know some much you know appreciated exposure on you know primetime Saturday night TV. Like can't go wrong with that. And usually, uh, you actually brought it up. Molly would end up. Molly Meldrum would end up interviewing them. I was just looking through because I thought this was. Going back to Plucker for a second. So before Plucker came in, he got on a bloody bike and swung the carousel around. They just spanned like, you know, did the old classic spin and wheel. Yeah. Get a number. Number reveals your prize. Um, someone spun it once and the stopped between the, the highest prize, which was a brand new fucking car and a shitter prize. And they weren't too sure what to do. Um, and Kerry Packer actually rang them and said, give them the car. That's awesome. That's huge. Kerry Packer, for anyone that's outside of Australia and doesn't know who he is, is... He's the head of the Nine Network. Head of the Nine Network, yeah. He, he was he was the man. So hmm. he calls and says, give him the car, give him the fucking you, car. You give him the fucking car. That's, that's crazy. I didn't even know that. Wow. Yeah, it was like, you know, crazy one-off. But yeah, the fact that he actually rang up directly to the Stoods. Pluck It Up was originally uh, actually played by Mark McGann and then was replaced by uh, someone named Simon Lefebvre. Lefebvre? I don't know how to say that word. Pluck It Up also appeared in an ad campaign for KFC as well, which I completely forgot about. Oh, it's where you like skateboarding through the streets. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Wasn't there a, um, a car commercial... R- done not too long ago like the last couple of years what Plucker going down on a skateboard down some bloody pretty sure that's KFC water. yeah is it KFC yeah, yeah. is it that's even funnier yeah are you sure it's a KFC I'm pretty yeah. sure it's KFC that's yeah. funny um yeah Trevor Marvel Trevor Marmalade who ended up going on to yeah being the barman on footy show um Russell Gilbert Australian comedian uh there were a lot of female hosts as well that would host with Daryl so you had Jackie McDonald uh, Denise Drysdale, the Ding Dong Avon lady, Joe Beth Taylor, who also hosted Australia's Funniest Home Videos. Another classic. Classic. And then finally, uh, Lavinia Nixon, who was also from Sale of the Century, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. You know what doing all this research into this sort of made me think of as well? The price is right. <laughs> Larry Ender. Larry Ender. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was a it was a, it was a big deal back in the nineties, wasn't oh, he? Mate, Holy shit! Huge deal. Um, other people that came on did quite well for themselves. Uh, obviously, Russell Gilbert ended up joining the troupe as well. Yep. Uh, he was part of the comedy company. Uh, they did a lot of sketch comedy back then, uh, which was wasn't too bad really. He did get his own spin-off show from it for a little bit as well. The Russell Gilbert show went for a year. It was it was mediocre to say the best. Get this. 1992, uh, Hey Hey Saturday broadcast an episode from Warner Brothers Movie World, and they made a forty. While they were there, they made a forty-five minute feature film called Silence of the Hands. 
which is apparently really hard to get a hold of. Apparently, it was never released on anything else afterwards, and yeah. So someone's got it on a VHS tape somewhere, and that's probably the only place it exists. Yeah, pretty much. It's not what you think it was about, though. Because I was looking, I was like, Silence of the Hands, and obviously some Silence of the Lambs fucking piss take. Nothing to do with it. No. Not even a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, being such a huge cultural show in Australia, it won a fuckload of awards. Like, um, most popular TV personality or most popular personality, Gold Logie, Daryl Summers. Mm-hmm. Most popular light entertainment, Daryl Summers, entertainment personality. Same again, Daryl Summers. Most popular light entertainment program, the whole show. Most popular comedy program, the whole show. Uh, it goes on and on. Like they, they, they won you know, quite a bit. They won, it won 19 Logies during its 29-year run. Not bad. For those outside of Australia, a Logie's like an Emmy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, now, as far as cultural significance goes, we sort of touched on a little bit that it's you know, pretty big for Australian uh, Australian culture. So the comedy company actually did a parody they called Ho Hum at Saturday. And Mad Magazine did a parody feature on which it was the same title. But I think the best thing I found when we were going through all this was the absolute hurler of an Australian comedy. The uh, 1997 movie The Castle uh, had the Kerrigan family's second favourite TV show was Hey Hey It's Saturday. Their favourite TV show was the best of Hey Hey It's Saturday. (laughs) Fucking gold. (laughs) Which is great. Yeah, there's honestly, I don't think anyone who grew up between the 70s, yeah, all the way from the 70s to the 90s, could not say they didn't know what Hey Hate Saturday was, was, or talk about what sort of impact it didn't have, because families all over Australia tuned in to watch this show every single Saturday night. Oh, yeah. As we've mentioned already. Yeah, no, 100%. If you are interested in finding out what the fuck we're talking about and why, you can, for a fee... It is, it is actually available to to see. So, for, since 2014, Samuels Car Productions started releasing full episodes and highlights videos of, from the show on their official website, heyhey.tv. And site charges fee $6.95 a month to view full episodes from 1977 to 2010. Not bad. And so, missing some of the early years. That's $6.95 Australian, obviously. Australian dollars. We would like to think so. Australian dollar dues. I think it's worth noting because they, they did sort of get a little bit of uh, criticism because, you know, they like to walk the line between appropriate and inappropriate humour. Got in quite a bit of trouble when they came back in 2009 with the one of the Red Faces segments featured a reunion and it was the Jackson Jive, which was a guy who would dress up like Michael Jackson and had the other Jackson 5 members off of him like a massive puppet sort of thing. And had blackface. Which, to be fair, was a... They weren't puppets. They were puppets? I thought they were. No. No, they were humans in blackface. Oh. Well, there you go. I'm thinking of something else. But they did have blackface. In all fairness to them, it was a reunion special on the in 2009 from the same segment they did in 1989. Like, did still not, not age well. Still not right, but did not age well. On a similar track, did you see that part about when um, 
Shane Warne was playing against South African batsman. Yeah. Makaya Nittini. hope I got that right. Nittini. And he referred to him as John Blackman, which was, you know, Warne basically saying that he was controlling his dicky knee because John Blackman controlled dicky knee the puppet. Nittini didn't take it that way. He took it as a racist job. <laughs> yeah. You know, black man. Yeah, yeah, unfortunate. Very unfortunate. It was a risky joke. Some of the best jokes are risky. True. True. But yeah, whoops. Also give a little shout out to another Australian icon that featured on the show quite regularly, Johnny Farnham. That's true. Johnny was on it pretty pretty often as well. Usually as a, like a guest on, he'd usually be like a panel member on Red Faces or he'd be performing in some capacity. Nothing like a good fucking Aussie celeb, you know? Oh, we haven't given a shout out to Wilbur Wild. Uh, yeah, Wilbur Wild. You know, Jesus Christ, the, what are we even sax, doing here? The sax man. It's true. Holy shit. The band, the whole band was actually really good. Like you had Red on the guitar, you had Wilbur on the sax. I don't know any of the other people that were in the band. <laughs> Just those two. Did, did you know uh, that it had like a two-year run in Britain? No. Obviously, Britain just couldn't pull it off as well as we did. We obviously touched on that Molly Meldrum was a big feature on the show. You made the valid point when we were talking about it earlier, though, that you know it sort of would have served to fill the void for him as what he did as because countdown uh, as a replacement for countdown because countdown mm. wasn't around anymore, obviously. Is it so? I mean, they would have overlapped a bit. Oh, and that's time. I'm sure they would have overlapped, but then once it it had finished, Australia's need to get their the music feel somehow. I mean, music mm. news and you know. Opinions from a great man in a cowboy hat. Because he did the, pretty much the same sort of thing, you know. You would pick an album thing, whatever else, and give you his opinions on it. Didn't quite draw. Do yourself a favour. Didn't quite draw three random things out of a hat, but, you know, he did all right, I guess. He, he did okay. Um, that is time, though. Wrapping up, Hey Hey Saturday. Just so many childhood memories come flooding back when I think about it. It was such a great staple of Australian TV and Australian culture. In the words of Molly Meldrum, if you live outside of Australia and you've never seen it, do yourself a favour, even if you have to pay for the streaming service. I'm sure there'd probably be clips on like YouTube and stuff as well, but definitely. definitely there are. I tried watching a couple. You don't you don't get full appreciation of the show just watching those clips. No, nah, you'd watch the whole show. Just, just eat, but looking up, I reckon just looking up red faces would be fucking gold. Oh, yeah. 100%. For that and for, you know... All the memories from my childhood. I've got to give it five gongs out of five. Yeah. I was going to give it five pluckers out of five, so... Yeah. It has to be. It's just too much of an icon of our childhood and so much, so many memories attached to it. You, you can't give it anything less. Now, from one journey through time to another, <laughs> that was a better segue. Oh, shit. Assassin's Creed. Now, I think we sort of... I don't know. We're going to go over a quick overview of the series and then hone in on the, the games that we enjoyed. Oh no! Because there's a there's lot no of games thing, to cover. There's no such thing, fucking thing as a quick fucking overview of the series. Sure, there is. No, there really fucking is not. You want me to try? No. <laughs> no. Uh, so first game, Assassin's Creed. Oh my god, uh, was released uh, 2007, November 13. So what franchise is running a good nearly 13 years strong at this stage? Hmm. I wouldn't say strong for the whole series. There have been some mm. missteps. There's been some missteps, yeah, sure. But, like, I mean, it hasn't been enough to slow it down. No. Which I, is amazing, because some of them are fucking shit. I think, the, I think it cops a lot of flack. But as an overall series, the idea behind it's great. 
Um, and it was actually the story that sort of sucked me into the first game. The gameplay and everything like that was pretty shit. Like, you couldn't swim. The first the, game? Yeah. I, the- I'm surprised that this sequel was even made after the first game. Because I played the second one first and was like, fuck yeah, I should probably go back and give that a go, eh? The second one's leaps and bounds better. <laughs> like, the I've just been recently playing through the Ezio collection. Just quickly touching on the, the first game there. I remember playing it and the gameplay side of it. Like, most of it was shit, but I liked the whole free-running thing. I thought that was cool. I thought the story was cool. But then, like, the graphics, the repetitiveness of the fucking missions. Like, it's the exact no, same. Well, even the graphic. Ever. Graphics were fine. It was the fact that you're running around and it just fucking... You were running around, you know, the, wherever the fuck you were in that game. Middle Ages. And, so, you were, like, in, like, Accra, Jerusalem, them sort of places. But just... You just got pulled back out way too often. Yeah. You're always getting pulled back out. Then you have to go do some, like, fucking lame shit fucking in the real world. Yeah. And, like, wander around, you're playing as Desmond, you just be super slow and shit, you're not doing any of the cool shit that you're doing, like, running around, scaling fucking buildings and diving yeah, off them. Yeah, those Assassinating cunt. And it did it really often. Whereas in the second game, it was nowhere near as happening as often. Yeah. And it blew my mind out. The only time that ever happened in the second game was to drive the story forward. Exactly, more. yeah. Like, it wasn't pointless. It had mm-hmm. purpose. And then I think from Brotherhood onwards, you could choose when you went in and out of the Animus. Animus, mm. for the most part. There were story parts, obviously, where you had to come out and whatever. Um, but the Ezio collection, my God, they, they're so good. Like I think the thing I like about the Ezio, Cole- Ezio collection so much, so the Ezio collection, for those that don't know, is Assassin's Creed 2, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, and Assassin's Creed Revolution. Revelations. Mm. Um, there's some little mini sort of sort of smaller games like PSP titles and stuff in between that, but they're the main three. Yeah. Um, About a boy Ezio El Torre. Mate, overarching story in that trilogy of games, even in the first game, and then it sort of picks up and moves into the second one, into the um, into like Brotherhood and everything like that. I've been replaying it. Um, I forgot how fucking awesome number two was. Um, gameplay was a little clunky compared to playing Odyssey and Origins and stuff like that, obviously, because it's way older. Um, there were little parts in it that still made me smile. For example, when you first meet your Uncle Mario, and he's like, <laughs> do, do I know you? And he's like, it's me, Mario. <laughs> that made me laugh. It still makes me laugh every time that's, I hear it. That's pretty funny. It's just gold. Uh, <clears throat> so basically, the story of that one is... Your Ezio Auditore and your Auditore da Firenze. That's the one. Your father, elder brother, and younger brother, much younger brother, who's like twelve or thirteen or something, get publicly hanged in front of you, which is pretty yeah. fucked. It's the times. That's what happens. And then you learn to become an assassin and you fuck shit up. And you get to hang out with Leonardo da Vinci as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. I think it's cool how they like um incorporate some of those classic you know people and said you know they've helped out and yeah well moving like i think even in the first one there's king richard who you encounter at one point but for the most part the like the whole series tries to include historical figures in some fashion Mm. like so you've got you know Ezio collection you're dealing with not just like i'm pretty sure rodrigo borgia was actually a real person um, you got the different popes, different sort of religious heads in in Italy at the time. You've got Machiavelli, 
Da Vinci, obviously. Um, just like all those sort of characters. And then you move on to number three. So then you've got there's historical characters. And I think George Washington's in that. Because it didn't set during the American Revolution. Hmm. And then what was after? What was after three? Black Flag. Yeah, which goes back and then you play yeah, the father or the grandfather of the main character you play in three. Black Flag was fucking sick, though. Black Flag was what saved the series in a lot of ways, in my opinion. I didn't mind three. I thought three was okay. Three was cool. Black I like the fact- Flag was fucking awesome. It had the fucking the boat and the naval battles and everything else that was going on, sailing around the sea and being a fucking pirate and shit. Nah, that was fucking awesome. Fun fact about it, they actually copped a lot of flack in that game from Peter because of this, the little mini game thing you could do to go get resources where you could go down that little raft and you could go whaling. Whalers on the moon. And they were like, like that's, you know, it's promoting, you know, violence against animals and blah, 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 blah. And the developers were like, it's what people did back then. Yeah. That's, that's historically accurate. We're not saying. Sorry. You can do it here. Go ahead and do it in real life. No. No one's saying that. No. It's like, just like, you know, GTA is not saying it's okay to go out and kill hookers. Similar, similar sort of thing. Um, no, but- it is. It's exactly the same. It's a fucking video game. You need to get resources. Yeah. And that is what they did back then. Yeah. And then you got. Shit. It's what people do fucking still now. Just not to such a large scale. Or legally. Well, I watched this video the other day and it blew my fucking mind. There's like this fucking beach. I can't remember where it was. And no shit. Once a year, it's like, I think it was like dolphins or some shit. They all like come in and no shit. They, the whole community just goes out there and as the dolphins come in, first one comes in, the rest fucking follow them and they no shit slaughtered the fuck. Like the ocean is fucking red on the beach. And they just like slay the entire pod. They then eat all the meat and stuff and keep it, and they say it actually helps keep their costs down and things like that. And apparently they have done studies and find out that their population growth of that particular species exceeds the amount that they kill every every year. So it's sustainable. It is sustainable, apparently. Um, But yeah, I blew out because obviously people getting real upset about it. And yeah. But they said that potentially soon they're going to have to stop doing it anyway because fucking water's getting that toxic that the meat's starting to come bad and they're not going to be able to keep eating it, so... Wow, that's pretty fucked. Yeah. You don't play as... Just going back on the... I'm pretty sure <laughs> going back to the I'm game. I'm pretty sure you don't actually play as the father from 3 in Black Flag. You play as Edward Kenway, not Haytham Kenway. So you play his grandfather, don't you? Yeah, I think his grandfather. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was his father or his, uh, his grandfather. grandfather. Yeah. yeah. But then even in that game, you meet... Blackbeard, so mm. another sort of historical figure, and then you've got um, so what came after? I'm trying to think, I'm trying to go literally off memory without looking at the the list. Um, you got between the, Rogue was next. Rogue was that like one for that. a PSP or something? No, it was it was on PS3 and stuff, but it just wasn't. I didn't play it. I don't know anything about it really. Um, and then there you go. It says it was meant to fill the gaps of the story between three and Black Flag, and has a crucial link to the Kenway saga, as well as connecting to Unity. Hatham Kenway from three and Adewale from Black Flag make appearances. Cool. Which, like, that's something I never played. I never played that expansion for Black Flag. Which one? Um, there was an expansion made where I think where you Freedom play Freedom Cry or something like mm. that. I've got that. I've played a little bit of that. Um, I like the sea shanties. 
when you're in Black Flag. How good were they? Yeah, that's true. It's true. And that's something they kept, um, I noticed in the later ones, like Origins or um, Odyssey. Um, that was just start singing songs. Yeah, which is awesome. Mm. Like, And if I think what was really cool in Odyssey, if you equipped your crew with all... You could, you, could, you could make your crew all men or all women and you know you get these you know beautiful you know female melodies sing along or you get these like hearty boisterous male <laughs> like shanties as well which is which is great um I feel like the story's kind of gone off track like the, the real world story if that makes sense so like yeah, I don't know, because I played a little bit of Unity, or no, I think it was Syndicate, actually, where you play as the... Yeah, you play as the brother and sister there. And I just, yeah, it, it fell a little bit flat for me. I just kind of thought they were scraping the battle for real ideas on where they were going, and it just was nowhere near as captivating as... Yeah, so, so the two, Brotherhood and... Revelations. Revelations you actually got captivated within the Ezio story yeah. and what was going on there. Black Flag was just fucking sick gameplay. I didn't really give a fuck about the story. The gameplay the story was just wasn't fucking... Great, but yeah. Like, it was good. Like, it was, you know, if it was completely crap, it probably would have de- deterred from it. But the gameplay and the fucking... Just everything else about it was really good and made up for... I didn't really care. I just wanted to play it because it was fucking awesome. Yeah. No, 100%. Um, but, like, from the, like... I think what, where they went wrong is they sort of jumped the shark when they killed off Desmond because he was such they did a, what? They when they killed off Desmond. Desmond's, Desmond's dead. Yeah, man. No, I didn't know that. I can't remember when that one happened. When did he die? It's at Revel- the end of Revelations. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So he dies, and then after that, there's no real story as to why they're doing it in, in the real world anymore. Like it makes no sense. Hmm. Um, yeah, let us know if, if I've missed something because I don't think there's any... Because then it goes in... It was... It was yeah, the thing about it, it was kind of very Matrix the way... Oh, 100%. Like, like, like Desmond sacrifices himself in the end. Yeah. But then, like, in Black Flag, the, the link to the real world and the Animus world is you're working for Abstergo Studios who help Ubisoft make Assassin's Creed games. And it's just like they've just ran out of ideas. They're like, fuck it, we're developers. You're in the development team now. That's why you're That's why you're going in the Animus. Makes no sense. They didn't really do that, did they? They 100% did that. No, they didn't. 100%. Wow. Yeah. This is where people started getting really shitty with them because it's like, it's like you're not even fucking trying now. You're just like shelling out. But there's been, there's been some cool stuff that they've taken away as well they've, they've added cool stuff but then they've taken other stuff away mm. like in unity unity itself was a pretty yeah. shitty game but the one thing that was really cool was they had an online multiplayer aspect where like you and your mates could go and do assassins missions and like help each other attack a building from different points and stuff like that which is that is pretty a cool. lot of fun um yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure it was Unity as well. It was one that got really bad reviews because they released a very unfinished product and as very, well. Yeah, it was very... That was the one where, like, all those memes came out, like, fucking people's, like, fucking faces were missing on the sprites and shit like that. Yeah, it was um, released very broken. Uh, almost felt like Bethesda had taken over the Assassin's Creed series for a little while. Just throwing a little bit of shade. I don't know. Bethesda don't. They release a lot of broken games. Name one. 
the whole Fallout series had bugs every time every game came out. Nah, they weren't that bad. Took some pretty bad bugs. Fallout 76, on the other hand, that shit. They really shit the bed with that one. Uh, <laughs> but then, then the, 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 they realised that it was getting stale and they needed to change shit up. And that's where Assassin's Creed Origins comes in, which took it away from being a, so much of like just a sandbox-based free-runner assassin game to being all of that plus having very real RPG mm. elements added to it. The RPG elements they've added are really good. I haven't played Origins. I've been playing Odyssey a fair bit. And I must say, I do enjoy the, the RPG elements that they have added to it. Yeah, you get to make your own sort of decisions. Um, you know, not just so much, not just how you customize your character, which you can do. You can give him different abilities, or him or her, different abilities. Um, you know, different weapons affect your stats different ways. Blah 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 blah. But not so much in Origins, but in Odyssey, you can really affect everything you do by the way you choose to play the game. So you can like choose different dialogue options and go down different paths and it's it's sick like you can fuck everybody pretty much like literally you can have sex with just about anybody can't confirm my character does your character roots everybody he literally does my wife's there she's like what are you doing Having i'm sex. like yeah she's like that's not the guy i'm like he doesn't care he he's going for it he's going for and it. Then i was like he's very ancient like, greek, greek of you anyway exactly and then i went through and for like this one little like sub mission that i was doing and when the bloke I just banged, went and banged his brother, and then going through, and then I had to go do something, I had to just like go save them. Holy shit, bombshell, they find out that I've been banging both of them. And they're like, I need to choose. And I was just like, yeah, no, sort of like, literally, you can either choose one of them, or you can be like, it's just a little bit of fun. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not getting committed here. <laughs> Don't be catching feelings, baby. <laughs> um,. Yeah, like, but even then, they've done so many cool. They've done some really cool things with the way they've fleshed out the worlds. Like, in the original sort of Ezio trilogy and stuff, they had tombs and stuff that you go through and and unlock shit and get really cool stuff. You have to go through all the tombs in number two to unlock um, Altair's armor, mm. which is cool. Um, you go through all of that, but then in Origins, the tombs are like in pyramids so they're actually like proper tombs that's pretty cool and yeah you can like slide down the side of pyramids and go in there and there's like in these tombs there's like big clay pots and sometimes if you break them open there's nothing inside and sometimes there's like cobras inside and shit and they fuck you up nice it's pretty cool much that fucking one i was doing in you know obviously you know, i went down dropped anything there's just fucking snakes everywhere i was like holy fucking shit there's actually, I think it's in Origins, there's a bit where you go into a tomb and there's a fuckload of snakes there. And Bayek actually says, why did it have to be snakes? Which is a nod to Indiana Jones. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, that's that really cool. And I'm really excited about Valhalla. I am. A little bit of bated breath. I'm a little concerned that there's going to be like a really bad God of War ripoff. Mm. Which pissed me off because God of War was sick God of War was awesome um I hope not I hope it's got all the assassin stuff going on mm. must say I'm a little bit confused like I don't like like Odyssey gameplay is really good but I don't really see any more 
how it all fits in again still with the whole Assassin's Templar sort of... Yeah, that's what I mean. They've lost their way with that storyline. And I don't like it. Like, there's so much they could do where, like, you know, they could go super edgy and they could, like, reference, you know, North Korea and the US and, like... You know, maybe North Korea is run by the assassins and the US is run by the Templars. They, like, switch shit around. They'd probably get a lot of trouble for that. But it'd be cool. Like, they could do... There's so much they could do with the actual wider story. Um, even even in the Ezio trilogy, in the in the first two games, I'm sure, there's... Well, definitely in, the, in number two. There's glyphs hidden around the world. Mm-hmm. And you find these, like, markings on buildings and you go into Eagle Vision and you look at them and then there's puzzles hidden. Oh, yeah, I know what you you're talking unlike, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to figure them out and then you unlock a sequence and it becomes yeah. a video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's, that's meant to be Adam and Eve, yeah. Yeah. And then in, in Brotherhood, there's another similar thing, but it's not as well done. But I like that sort of stuff. I love little puzzles and stuff hidden mm. in amongst it because you can either... You, you don't have to do that, but it deepens the story if you do. Mm. I think they've done that in Odyssey, but it isn't, like, in the way of, like, yeah, that other sort of underlying story it's just more optional missions like going around banging two brothers and shit like that yeah and there's a lot of, a lot of mythology in that with the you know like the you know the Egyptian gods like you know you've got um, I'm trying to think of one of them um, you don't you don't encounter Ra but you encounter whatever right, Am- origins yeah like Amatep and stuff like that like um, and you gotta go do it like go find uh, that's origins the egyptian gods in the in odyssey sorry you've got like the greek mythology so you've got like you know there's missions where you go and you try to take on minotaurs and you unlock you you obviously do the mission where you find out that your father is in atlantis or whatever he's like the gatekeeper for atlantis guys that was a spoiler that was a big spoiler oh yeah spoiler spoiler for me Oh, you haven't seen... You haven't got that far yet? No, I haven't got that far. Oh. I, like, I like to waste my time in those games and do other things. I hate you. Well, your real father's the gatekeeper for Atlantis. <laughs> no point in playing anymore. Did you know that Nicolaus... You knew that Nicolaus wasn't really your dad, though. It's been hinted at. It's been hinted at. Did you kill that fucking Weasley cunt? Oh, here we go. Look at him. He's just like, how many, how many can I give him? I don't know. I don't know how far you played it. You've been playing it for ages. How have you not made it? Have you finished any of the story? I found my mum. You know the you know the Weasley cunt that is like that Nicolaus adopts as like his right hand man, little dark haired fucker. Maybe that yeah. He's a real smug cunt. Don't know. Can't remember. I didn't kill him, but I think you can kill him. I kind of wish I had of because he's a fuckhead. I don't know. Mum just my found my mum. Yeah, just found my mum. Found your mum. Yeah, she's a nice lady. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. There you go. Sorry, I didn't mean to ruin that for you, man. I thought you were further through it. You've been playing it for so long. Can't believe you do this to me. I know. I'm a real piece of shit, but it's partly your fault too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, going forwards, obviously, the Assassin's Creed uh, franchise is not dying down as of yet. I mean, Vikings are cool. So, no, I'm, I'm very interested to see what they end up doing with that because I had been very sceptical and standoffish with since Origins. So I was just like, eh, us Syndicate, I was just like, yeah, probably probably not going to pick it back up. But I like what they've done with it. I like what the changes that they've made. Yeah. Out of those RPG elements. It took an adjustment and, it, and it's done well. There are some 
time periods and worlds they've been they've been suggested by fans and the developers have been like we're not going we're not doing that like feudal japan world war one it's like you can't have assassins when everyone's got fucking rifles and shit why not feudal japan though mm. that'd be cool maybe they mm. don't want to oh that game just came out which is basically set in feudal which japan. is essentially the same sort of <laughs> yeah. game uh, but that is obviously time wrapping up overall fairly decent series like there's some really mm. banging games in it there's some shit ones too movie i haven't seen it but apparently it's shit i've fallen asleep trying to watch it a few times which kind of sucks because you know it's got some it's got the bones to be good but there's little there's little mini movies made um i'm pretty sure they're animated about Ezio as an old man yeah i've seen them they're pretty cool mm. they're like got a bit of an anime sort of style about mm. them which is pretty cool yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit just because those other games they were really shit. But like the second series, like Black Flag and Odyssey for me, have all, are all very good games. So for those those games themselves, I would give them if it was just those ones, it'd be like a four to four and a half pieces of Eden out of five. I thought that was the metric we we're going to go with because that makes sense. Um, overall, though, with the other games in there, it's more of a three and a half. I was going to be more brutal. I was going to say, yeah, for the, the, the really good ones, I was going to say, you know, probably four and a half. I'll put Origins in there as well because Origins are sick. Um, but as the overall series, I'd probably give it a three. Fair enough. Um, but it is time to consult the hats. The hats of destiny. The hats of destiny. This one's getting really empty. I don't know what this one is, but it's dwindling down. Ooh! All right. So consulting the hats, the obviously the video game hat, mm, somewhat topical because the sequel just came out recently. Sequel came out recently. Zombie Apocalypse, Man and a Girl, The Last of Us. Yeah, man. Cool. I've only played the first one. I haven't played the second one. Yeah, people seem to like it a lot. Yeah, some people like it. Some people don't like the way the story went. Meh. All right. So that's the video game we're doing pretty cool last of us is actually pretty sick though it's a good game to play through all right and this hat movie hat the i guess you'd call it a buddy comedy jim carrey dumb and dumber fuck yeah and i'm hoping this is the tv hat actually something i've been wanting to watch all of because i've only ever seen bits and pieces of it never seen it all it's something you really enjoy it's It's buffy no not on air anymore, so you got that part right. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, oh, have I watched it, rewatched it recently? I'm pretty sure you have. Yeah. Is it Burn Notice? No. Oh, I got really excited there. Fuck you. <laughs> You've referenced it a few times. It's not Firefly. Before you even say it, it's not fucking Firefly. It had more seasons than Firefly, quite a few. It's not hard to do, Trent. Thank you. Um, set in a small town. Small town. No. There's a bit of a hint in that phrasing as well. Is there? Set in a small town. Oh, small veal. Yes. <laughs> uh. So we've got Last of Us, Dumb and Dumber, and Smallville. It's going to be hard to make good. a name out of that lot, but we'll do it. We always seem to. <laughs> um, as weird as they may be. Yeah, some of them don't make sense, but whatever. So that's it for another episode of the Cold Popularity Podcast. As usual, get on the socials. Talk to us. We're still waiting for one more shit thing. I, don't, I want lots of shit things. 
that we can try to find positives in. Try. Do it. Challenge fucking us. Just, just challenge us. Just tell us the worst fucking possible thing. Not even that. Just tell us Just tell us anything you want us to talk about. We'll take it on board. Just do it. Something that you would like that is absolute shit. And we'll check it out. And we'll let you know, yeah. let you know if, it, if it really was that shit. And if you really want to try and redeem it, what quality would redeem it? But as usual, you've been listening to the Cold Popularity Podcast. Cop that.